Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon is Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention. The next event is scheduled for June 24th through 26, 2002 in Norman, Oklahoma. However, they need your help to put on the next event. Please visit SoonerCon.com to find out how you can help make SoonerCon 30 a reality. The Hellmouth Convention The Hellmouth Convention is a celebration of all pop culture, but specifically things like Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. It is held in Los Angeles, California, and the next event is scheduled for June 3rd through 5th, 2022. Proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship Fund. For more information, go to thehellmouth.org. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bostig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Michael Lloyd, an up-and-coming talent who has a lot of passion for all the things we enjoy. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Michael Lloyd. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing well, sir. And yourself? I am doing fantastic. I am eager to reach out because you are an up-and-coming actor and filmmaker, and the fact that you've been so ambitious in such a short period of time is really encouraging to me. So what did you do to get started? Well, I'm very glad to hear that I can inspire someone. I definitely hope to inspire more. Uh, I have kind of come a long way. I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, and I had this dream for the longest time. I want to serve in the military. I want to be a fighter pilot really, really bad. And when it came time to enlist, I ended up joining the Marine Corps instead. And then after my service, I was medically discharged and I went back home for like a year and I took a desk job doing uh, customer service sales for like cable, internet and phone. And I was good at it too. I was like one of the top salesmen. It's like one of my second passions for some reason. <laughs> and so I got tired of the same mundane thing, doing the same thing over and over again. It just felt like I, I was meant for more than that. And so my mom had been living in New Orleans for a few years at that time, said that it's basically Hollywood South is what they call it down here. They're, that's how much filming is done, where it's like it's its own Hollywood designation, like a branch, if you will. And so I was like, that sounds cool. And she knew someone that could give me a job doing security on film and TV sets, and they hire veterans in law enforcement. So I was like, oh, sounds like I'm a banging fit. So I was like, screw it. And I packed everything in my Honda Civic, drove cross country to New Orleans, and I got my security job within a month. And then I did some research and I found out there was, in fact, tons of filming, all kinds of TV shows. And I found this site. I booked my first gig on a show called Zoo. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was a Netflix adaptation of a novel where animals take over uh, in this like post-apocalyptic scenario. And I was a prisoner in this particular scene. And I was kind of in disbelief because I had been scammed by, you know, these sites before where they promise you like roles or like, hey, be on TV. And it ends up, you know, being a scam. And this ended up being legit. I got the email telling me where to go, like who to check in with and everything. I was like, wow, okay. I got there and I was just amazed it was absolutely inspiring to me and 
from that day on having it become so achievable to get on set i could only imagine how much more i could do and i had already done acting for four years in high school and theater and i really enjoyed it so i was like hey you know this is a new purpose for me and ever since then i couldn't imagine doing anything else in my life so you're able to go straight from student theater you did your stint in the real world military customer service security and now you're looking to actually become a filmmaker right off the bat you have a project in the works i am well i'm currently writing a screenplay uh okay. it's a horror um it's a horror type uh because i kind of like horror i think that's one of my favorite genres and i actually recently graduated from the los angeles film school with a bachelor's degree of science for digital filmmaking uh that just happened uh this past september and um that was a really eye-opening experience because they don't just teach you one aspect of film they teach you every single aspect every month so you're learning editing one month you're learning uh directing another producing another and so on and so forth so you learn all the roles in filmmaking and it just gives you a whole new appreciation for the process and with that education i was hoping to use that to gain knowledge and the know-how so that I can make my way through the industry uh, as a professional and not just, you know, coming in off the street, um, hoping to get lucky. I'm trying to basically manifest my destiny at this point. So you're actually taking a very, I would almost say business-like project approach to it. You are setting yourself up for success. Yes, uh, very much so. I, I mean, that kind of probably stems from my family. My mother was an entrepreneur, an inventor, and a problem solver. So growing up in that kind of environment, it, it only feels natural to do, to do so with such tenacity and perseverance so that you can achieve those things. I mean, my mom made her first millions in her early 20s with, uh, with a hair invention. And I also actually am a long distant relative of Victor Moore. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was an actor during the silent film and, uh, era. And he has done work and transitioned into talkies, which was really, really difficult to do. Not many people know this, but it was almost unbearable to listen to some of the actors talk when they transitioned from silent film to film was sound and so they couldn't make it you know they couldn't evolve and adapt but he could and he was able to go on and do work on films like the seven-year itch swing time and he was a primarily a comedic type actor and even worked with like Marilyn Monroe directly he also currently has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame so it almost feels like I'm kind of fulfilling a legacy if you will multiple legacies from what I can see yeah it, and with the way we have you know so many avenues to creativity and so many different types of fame out there now compared to the way things were only a, maybe a decade or so ago it, there's this idea out there that you just have to do your thing and the money will flow and that's not the case right there's still a lot of very smart decisions you have to make right and you also have to make sure you have I don't want to say the right intentions or good intentions, but check your motives. Because if you're in to get in this industry to get rich, famous, become a celebrity or something like that, that's all fine and dandy. 
but understand that the road is going to be much more difficult for you because you're having to deal with a whole new level of competition and vanity as as well as you know consumer related content and you know what you can pump out for people as an influencer or ambassador or something like that uh that's how most people are actually making their fame right now is you know through things like tiktok and um instagram and youtube where they're showcasing their talents on social media and just by happen chance by by sheer luck you know usher picks you know justin bieber out of the youtube crowd or you know another influencer or celebrity ends up in a movie deal like that they didn't really have to work much for not to discredit their efforts or or their work or anything like that but they're not you know what i'm saying like they're they're doing it for the money essentially i know exactly what you're saying and and doing it for the money is not shameful in and of itself absolutely not but when you look at the success prospects of it you have to wonder if that's the best place to put your efforts right and i'm a firm believer that i'm sure that also these people have made it uh, you know, the way that they have uh, through luck as well, where, I mean, I've been lucky, you know, I would be a hypocrite to say that I haven't been lucky as well myself. Uh, but it seems like I feel like I have this drive. I'm taking these efforts and these steps to do it. Meanwhile, these people are just posting content on social media and happen chance to get picked out of a crowd. And if you have that mindset, yes, it has worked. But understand that the probabilities of that are, you know, you got to be realistic about it. So I take every chance or every opportunity that I can to move myself forward and increase my efforts and my footprint and imprint into the industry so that I can achieve those goals of making my own film and maybe even starring in a series or something like that. So you're talking about doing things for the money, but that's really not your focus. You, you are partially doing it because you love the craft and you're, you talked about horror. I, I, for full disclosure, I'm not really a horror guy, mm. but I like horror fans. Horror mm. fans are fun as hell. So what, what Brett brings you into it? That's really what I'd like to know. Uh, what brings me into horror? What, like yes. what? What draws me into that? Yeah, your favorite horror movie, what sucked you in, the, the, why you yeah. love the genre so much? I I enjoy horror because it, it incites, I guess it's an adrenaline kind of thing. You know, I like that feeling of, of panicky, I guess, a little bit. It's a little bit addicting. And I don't know if anybody else gets that feeling. But I also really appreciate the effects that go into it. And just how detailed and immersive some of the effects are and also not to mention the history of how those effects have improved and how human ingenuity and engineering has allowed us to create more and more realistic effects with less computer graphics and it's just it, it immerses you in the story and you feel the character you know i didn't think of it in that context actually looking at the history of the visuals and the development of the effects not necessarily special effects but of, of the way that we produce films because i'm 
I'm one of the people that really thinks that there are some real benefits to the way we did things 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago with all practical effects. And even though things weren't perfect, they weren't completely photorealistic, there was a believability to it that I think doesn't always translate into today's ideas. Right, right. And, and you know, when you look at like, like the Friday, uh, the 13th series, and you look at the effects of that, I mean, that was ahead of its time. And it's just, it, it was so gruesome and, and realistic. And when you also think about the effects of other films, like in action in Indiana Jones, when, you know, Indy threw that punch and everybody heard that sound, it was the first time that was the most realistic sounding punch that they ever heard. And just the, it, there really is just something amazing about that, that process and, and the evolution of the creativity and just how mind-blowing it is that people find new ways to tell stories. When you look at, you were talking earlier about the silent era and that the very first generation of those films, it was really, the idea was we're just going to record a play. The same thing you would see in any stage production, we're just going to put a camera in front of it. And that was, it was interesting. And it, I mean, granted, they didn't have anything else to go on. That was all they knew and they adapted from there. But to look at it now after seeing what we have is, you know, two hairs away from virtual reality to go back and say, we're going we're gonna to hold on to the artificialness of it and actually put more value in it that way. Right. And just the art of storytelling in, a, in, in its entirety, having been born from just showing emotion and with actions and communicating with your body language, going from that to being able, be, to being able to vocalize and verbalize what's happening, you know, immersing us into the story and then having people find new ways to create these effects where you feel like you're in a dream world or you feel like you're on a new planet. And then it just, it, the, it's so, I just, I know it feels weird right now. Like I feel kind of crazy right now, the way that I feel like I'm just, I'm just crazy about storytelling, I guess. Well, and that's the best way to look at it because you are, you're telling a story, a movie, let's stick with movies for the moment. Movie is, is a telling a story through a visual medium, through sound and, and images motion and that's it's different that people would you know say this book would make a great movie well it might but the book is one method of storytelling it is a narrative told in the from the author to the reader's mind and there's nothing in between right. but when you you take that and put it into a movie you need the visuals you need the music you need the actor suddenly there's so many other ways to interpret that Right. It's neither good nor bad. That's just, you're, you're fundamentally getting a different experience. Right. And, you know, with book storytelling, what's so amazing about that is that each person, each reader gets to have their own customized movie played in their head when they read that book. Whereas with film, you're reading the director's interpretation of the story because they do make those changes on set sometimes where they change a line here, change an action there just to you know create a different effect or even sometimes uh the actor will will interject or um what's the word improvise you know like um i'm trying to think of what the name of the movie is 
damn it. I can't remember the name of the movie because there's just, there's so many examples of it. Like the uh, in Warriors uh, where he's clinking the bottles with his fingers and he goes, Warriors, come on and play. That was improvised. That was not scripted. And, and it added something to the story. If he hadn't done that, I don't think that it would have had as much depth to what was happening. That's where the actor really starts to add their own layer to the story, because if, if they can get into the character and become able to interpret the character beyond what the writer or the director have done, if they add their own touch to it, they can say, this is what the character would have done. And, and they can know that. And that's something that, you know, those improvisations become very valuable because nobody else would have come up with that, but that actor. Right. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about filmmaking too, is the culmination of ideas brought together into one final project. And, you know, not many people do this anymore. You know, they have the credits list after the screen. I encourage people read the credits and see just exactly how many teams, how many employees it took to make those films. And I know it's a long list, but every single one of those people had a hand in making that film that you love and a lot of the classics that we love. And, you know, they don't get the credit. They don't get the spotlight. They're, they're not the ones out there collecting the awards at the Oscars or the Emmys or anything like that. It's the producers, the writers, the directors, the actors, you know, but having that team effort to bring a story to life is beautiful to me. It's, it's creation in its finest form. I was always the kind of person who wanted to stay till the end of the credits when watching a movie, just because you never knew when there was something hidden there. And when I was a kid, that was very rare to hide something at the end. Now with this trend of having scenes or, or end teasers after the credits or during the credits, it's a little bit more palatable for the general public to do that. And I'm glad for that because I think it gives just one extra chance for those people to get their moment in the sun. Right. And I think a lot of people take uh, film for granted too. Because without these movies, without these shows that, you know, you entertain yourselves with all day, you know, like you're consuming it. Why are you going to bag on the people that are making content that you're choosing to consume? And they're just doing the best that they can to tell a story or put on a good show. And I think people should have a little bit more appreciation and not take for granted you know, because I used to have the same mindset. I used to think, why are these people getting paid so much, you know, to make play dress up and, and you know, jump around in, in tights in front of a green screen? You know, I used to have that same mindset. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I ended up pursuing the military instead of an acting career, because I didn't think it would be realistic. And I went with the safe, sustainable job. But after I got out of the military and I started doing the background acting, I got on shows like NCIS New Orleans, Into the Badlands, Scream Queens. And there was this one film that the first film that I got featured in, I, I have like two minutes of screen time that you can see my face in, but I'm not credited, which sucks. But uh, I was one of the Secret Service agents that was rushing through the hospital with LBJ, played by Woody Harrelson, after the Kennedy assassination scene. 
And seeing my face on that screen being immortalized like that was just, it's an undescribable experience. I mean, yeah, it fuels the ego and it's a little bit narcissistic, sure. But I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that. And I think that people should be proud of their achievements, especially those kinds of achievements, because it's not like it's something that everybody is able to accomplish. So, and while I was on those sets, you know, you get a, a real in-depth, you know, you're in the trenches look of what goes into this. And, and it's a lot of a hurry up and wait. You know, these are like 10 hour days that these people are working on just for, and they'll do like 10 hour days for like three or four days a week, just for one scene, just for one scene, you know, like, and the equipment, the lights that go into it, the electrical uh, components that are needed to deal with. Cause when I took my electrical class, man, let me tell you that one was tough and I have a new appreciation for electricians. So <laughs> uh, kudos out to my electricians out there. Well, in defense of some of the average people out there who might not be appreciating the filmmaking industry as a whole, I, there's some reason they might feel that way. And, and you know this as well as I do. So I'm not, I'm not trying to lecture you, but it's like, I, I just feel like I got to stick up for the people on the other side of the screen because we get so many stories of, the people at the very top of that pyramid, the directors, the act, the producers, the actors, and there just might be one or two people in that crowd who make a shit ton of money and they're absolute assholes. And those are the ones we hear all the stories about, but we don't hear about the electricians, the safety techs, the makeup artists, the people who don't actually make that much money, to be very honest with you, who work probably more hours, probably more unfair hours doing work that's just as bad as anybody laying pipe or digging ditches out there for no glamour whatsoever in any other industry. We don't hear about those people. And so it's very difficult to have sympathy for somebody you might not even know exists. Sure. And I totally, I totally agree with that. And by all means, I, I like sharing this story, these stories though, in this perspective in hopes that maybe it will inspire others to pursue artistic things and not take art for granted. And, you know, even if it seems like it's obviously be realistic, obviously be realistic, but I just hope that, you know, people, I'm sorry, excuse me. I totally lost my train of thought. No there's worries. There's a plane going over and my ADD is kicking in. It's, it's, it's quite all right. Oh, God. I mean, one thing I would point out is you had a really good point. And something I, I love to go back to is that even if you aren't a super fan of the arts, if you don't think it's that a big of a deal, art is in a lot of ways the reason we do anything. Art is the reason that we do get up in the morning to you know, make sure the water's turned on, make sure that the, the vehicles are running, make sure the trains are running on time to borrow a phrase. The reason is we want to be able to show that we as a culture made something. And I definitely understand, you know, people's stigma and I definitely understand people's, uh, you know, misunderstanding for sure. And I definitely understand the discontent because I also have harbor some, some resentment and discontent for, you know, Hollywood, obviously for 
harboring some of the things that they harbor. And I'm actually kind of hoping that maybe I can <laughs> change some of that. But I got distracted again with my train of thought. I would personally think that there has to be a way to keep those people from being harbored forever for being successful at being monsters, you know, and we've, I don't want to sing out names because there's a lot of names. We don't have to go down any particular one, don't throw it, but it's just the fact that that has been tolerated and I don't think it's necessary. That's the other weird thing is that there was always this, this method of, yeah, but maybe that's just the kind of person we need in that industry. No, it's not. This industry can survive without people being horrible pieces of human waste. And, you know, treating, just treating each other like a, like a human being, you mm -hmm. know, with, with some respect and dignity. I mean, I think that's, that's fair across the board. And, you know, and, and with that being said, I don't think that, you know, everybody should just appreciate art just for, for the sake of appreciating art. Obviously, if there's a bad story, if it's bad film, if it's bad show, you know, that's fine. You know, that's totally fine, you know, but others may not share the same opinion because art is subjective and there is no one right answer or anything. Uh, so I definitely understand. And I definitely don't think that, you know, I'm not saying that people should just support art just for the sake of supporting art, obviously support what you support. But there's enough people out there now that even if the people supporting that art is only a slim chunk of the population, there's probably going to be enough interest there if it's genuinely good and can grab anybody to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually more people are, are finding uh, art. I think this pandemic has definitely opened people up to art a little bit more, a little bit more appreciation for it, especially for content creators now, because with the pandemic, TikTok being a thing, right? You know, blowing up over the pandemic, because what else was anybody else going to do? sitting around their house, you know, and unemployment, not able to go out, do anything. So it gave people the ability to express themselves and create. And I think it kind of created a newfound, you know, appreciation for that type of creativity and that type of art. And I also think that it's opened up a lot of communities like film gurus and film buffs like myself. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm definitely finding more and more people that are understanding and showing interest in the craft. And that's inspiring to me because I think that this type of storytelling really is uh, the best kind of storytelling. Agreed. And it's interesting the the pandemic added such a weird, weird vibe, a, a trend almost in, in film or, or, or media consumption, because right. I saw so many people start to do deep dives and rewatches into shows that I had been a fan of for ages and that the world had kind of left behind. Two examples I can think of right off the top of my head would be Stargate SG-1 and Star Trek Deep Space Nine are both excellent shows. They have their diehard fans, but they're not really on anybody's lips right now. And then the pandemic hit and somebody's like, oh, hey, I'll give this a shot. And it's amazing. Where's this been all my life? Right. And one thing I also would recommend people out there, I don't know if anybody has seen it yet or not, but there's this series on Netflix. It's like a mini series uh, called The Movies That Made Us. And mm -hmm. I really like this series because it showcases all the different types of films like Dirty Dancing, uh, Pretty Woman, Forrest Gump, 
Die Hard, all these classics that so many people know and love and a lot of people have grown up on, uh, showcases their uh, faults, their shortcomings, the obstacles that they had to go through. Um, some of them almost didn't even make it to the silver screen or the distribution. Excuse me. And one thing that I will say uh, is the helicopter scene in Die Hard, they had to shoot that scene with the one with their helicopters were flying through the building for Nakatomi Tower. They shot that in the city due to the sound ordinance. They had two hours to get the shot. Two hours to get the shot. And they had a two-hour window. And they managed to be able to get it in one take. And like that kind of coordination and restriction alone, you know, having to maneuver that to create this amazing masterpiece of a scene, I think deserves a round of applause. It's amazing. You look at something like that and, and all the stories on, on the movies that made us and the ones that almost didn't get made, but some, they had their, their lucky break. They, they got the permission, they got the money and that they become a, a classic, a modern classic. Like Die Hard isn't that old of a movie. Right. I mean, it's been around a couple of decades, but it's like, it's, it's still, it, it doesn't go back to the foundation of Hollywood itself. Sure. Absolutely. And yet, it's now a classic in any sense of the word. Every year I hear the argument as to whether it's a Christmas movie. I mean, it's, it's just, it's part <laughs> of the culture. And then you look at something else and you're like, how did this get made? You know, if you were about to say no to Die Hard, how did you make, and I don't want to pick on anybody, but I could, how did this get made? What, what <laughs> makes you think that? I have a feeling, I think I know which one you're talking about too. and. You know what? I same question. I honestly cannot think of it. I, you know, in film school, they teach you the cycle of film development from the moment the idea is born to the point that it gets distributed in theaters. And nowhere in there does it explain what you do when someone presents you with such an odd idea that just shouldn't work but it does is a phenomenon. Well, that's a damn good answer. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that education helped me. I stumped you. <laughs> and, and there are so many cases where something should work and just absolutely doesn't. And, those tend right. to be the ones that get all the spotlight for reasons I don't get. Right. And, you know, it's always one that's like showcasing some uh, new big name actor, you know, usually a new um, heartthrob of some sort. And yeah, they, they sometimes they're cringe, but that's because they ended up focusing on the wrong element. And I think if you look at those films and you see what, they're trying to tell you and you just happen to notice a crap load of sponsored ads in there, you know, just subtle, not so subtle sponsorships slipped into that film. You can see, Oh, they just wanted to make this movie specifically for this person. And it wasn't about the story. 
It was all about just creating a random screenplay for this person to play. Picking from like the bottom of the barrel. At least that's that's my insight. I mean, when I look at those films, that's what I see. Because when you look at the films that are amazing, and I know a lot of people, he's kind of like controversial, Quentin Tarantino. Uh, I love his films. Absolute um, great storyteller. Amazing storyteller. I love his stories. The way he formats his, his screenplays is inspired. And when you look at his movies, it really is all about the story. He's not just focusing on one character or a side plot or anything like that. He encompasses everything, all the aspects. And it's notable because you'll see a movie like his that have multiple big name actors, multiple top tier actors who all should have top billing. And yet you can't walk away from it and not think that every single actor on that screen, even the ones you've never heard of, were very significant and affected the movie in a dramatic way. Right. Another great, another great director, Martin Scorsese, Mm -hmm. his films, phenomenal, all about the story. Mm -hmm. That's the big difference. And I think that's what separates a good film from marketable consumer content. Yeah. Uh, A lot of the movies that we're seeing now are great experiences and they're fun, but is it a great film? Is it something that sticks with you that you want to go back to, to see what you missed? I think that that's, I don't want to say it's getting rarer, but you have to put in the effort to find those movies these days. I, I, I kind of agree. I kind of agree. There is a little bit of a digging that you have to do. You have to sort through some stuff. Um, I've kind of liked some of the, some of the horror films that's come out lately. Uh, the last one I saw was, it was a horror comedy. Um, Freaky with Vince Vaughn. And that was a pretty decent film. Uh, and it wasn't like it was it was about the story. It, it wasn't like a you know marketable piece of junk. But when you have things, and I am probably going to get a lot of hate for saying this. The Star Wars sequels. Okay. I see where you're going with this. Disney's cash grab. Milking that cow until it's dry. Because while stories like The Mandalorian are, in my opinion, fantastic because it's its own unique storyline. And I know what they were trying to do with the sequels and kind of like pass the torch to these new characters. But there was a lot of missed opportunity. And there was just a lot of nostalgia picking in my opinion and they kind of just slightly refaced some of the original trilogy just just a little bit i can't disagree with any of that i i I look at these 
the sequel trilogy and I just look at what they had to overcome coming off of the prequel trilogy, which did a whole different brand of damage to the story. Right. And uh, it's like, I I almost started off the force awakens, which I loved by the way. I mean, I was a huge fan of that movie. Yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. But I'm going into this thinking there's only one way to go and that's up. Right. And I almost, I can't really fault any part of at least episode seven, just knowing that they had to get that right. And if it meant playing it safe, they, their hands were kind of tied in that one respect. Right. And let's not forget the, some of the politics that end up getting played in Hollywood as well, because Mm -hmm. JJ Abrams was supposed to do all three. Mm -hmm. He was also supposed to do eight and nine. It was, it was his baby. I don't remember exactly what happened. There was some kind of dispute. And then they brought in, who was it? James Gunn. Mm-hmm. And completely went in another direction. Like, I was like, we were on track on something. He sort of picked it up from where it was. And then, I'm sorry, but the drifting through space and spoiler alert, but if you guys haven't seen, you know, any of the freaking sequels by now, I'm sorry. It's too late for you. It's too late for you. But the floating through space while the first order cruisers are just trailing behind them, not increasing speed at all. They're just, they're just pacing. Like they're just playing, like waiting them out until they burn out fuel. I just, I feel like that there's something different that could have been done because when you look at how the empire and has, has fought throughout the entire saga, they don't just wait things out. They chase you down, hunt you down. They send out interceptors all this kind of stuff. I understand that this is a new order, new leader, all this kind of thing. But when you look at it in hindsight, knowing that Palpatine is still at the head of everything, why would it, it doesn't make sense. And and that's kind of the the crux of it to me. uh, When people ask me what I think of the sequel, I will say, the best thing I can say about it is that it is three absolutely excellent movies. The worst thing I can say about it is that those three movies at no point actually gel into a trilogy. Mm-hmm. It is three movies. It is not a trilogy. Right. And if that's okay with you, that's fine. But that that's really where I ended up leaving it. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't shame people for liking it. I don't, you know, I know there's a lot of like Star Wars fans out there that get real hard up about this stuff. And it's like, I mean, believe me, I'm wearing my, my Mando necklace right now. I mean, like I'm not hating on, on, on any of y'all for liking it, but I'm sorry. That was just, <laughs> I think that needed to be said. I think I needed to get that off my chest. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so I guess I, the one last thing I should ask you is, you know, you're coming from a horror background and we're talking about Star Wars. And to me, these are two very 
different mindsets when it comes to fans. And, and to me, you know, having loved Star Wars and Star Trek and comic book movies since I was a little kid and couldn't even read yet, I'm thinking a lot of my friends are getting tired of reboots and sequels. And that's all horror movies have ever been is reboots and sequels. So yeah. how does that change going from one fandom to another? So I think that there needs to be more creator. That's why I'm encouraging creators to, to get out there because there needs to be more creators in the industry that are willing to take that step to make unique content, to make unique films, to make unique art, you know? And like, we could be the generation that changes that. We could be the generation that, you know, finally shifts film into the right direction cinema into the right direction and we can get back to the roots of storytelling and not just you know going into a, a cash grab let's do that absolutely let's do that so um, i'm going to put all your information on my website aaronbossig.com in the show notes where can people follow your misadventures on the internet so I have a couple different platforms. I am on uh, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram, as well as Twitter. I'm still working on that, though. Uh, you can find my uh, Facebook page. Uh, it's my name, my full name, Michael Lloyd. Uh, it's an actor fan page. That's where I'm going to try posting all of my news and updates on things that are coming up and what I'm doing. Um, you can also see some of the things I've done so far, like my appearance in Queen of the South, uh, season five, uh, as Flacco. And, um, I'm also going to, let's see, I think I'm trying to pull it up right now, but my phone's acting up right now, but I mean, I'll send you the links as well so that you can post them. Uh, but you can also find my handle, uh, mystic Mike that's, uh, M Y S T I K mike uh and that's my instagram handle as well as my tiktok handle and i will do my best to get everybody updated on everything that's going on well mystic mike thanks so much for being here i'd love to have you back anytime it sounds great thanks for having me i appreciate it I would like to thank Michael for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, that part where we talk about how to grow the show that takes less than five minutes of your time and costs you nothing, I'm going to ask that if you have any possible suggestions for topics or fandoms that I haven't reached, please reach out to me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com or at my Twitter at Aaron Bossig. Don't forget you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.